Once again, we hear God's word from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 27 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own sin. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and it will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The New Testament lesson from which our sermon comes is found in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. You can find that on page 1005. Once again, we hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. This, too, is the word of God. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to wreck the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as a covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there had been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." 
for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The word of God so far. Let's pray that God will bless the preaching of it. Heavenly Father, help us to concentrate on your word. Help us to hear it clearly. Help us to understand our sin through the preaching of the law. And moreover, help us to understand the preaching of the gospel and how we are forgiven of our sins in Christ alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Congregation of Christ and Friends, great discomfort and dismay can be found in things that break. New toys, new cars, new houses, homes, but even contracts, friendly agreements, relationships, marriages, and promises in general. There's so much encouragement, excitement, and anticipation in something new that's agreed to, but great heartbreak when it is broken. There is a great temptation that when you sin, to believe that your relationship to God is broken, that it can be over. But this is not true. It's not true in the New Covenant. In verse 1 of our passage, the author introduces what he believes is the chief point or the crowning summary of everything he said in the previous section. Previously, he argues that Jesus is your permanent, eternal high priest, made perfect forever, who lives to make intercession for you. Then he continues with this chief point. Not only do you have a high priest at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, by which he means the right hand of God, but also you have a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. That is, Jesus is your high priest ministering in a heavenly table, not an earthly temple. As the author uh, continues to argue, because Jesus is in the heavenly temple, he is mediating in the new covenant of which you are a part. This covenant cannot be broken ultimately, even when you sin. Now, to understand the comfort of the forgiveness of sins in the new covenant, you must first understand the discomfort associated with the old covenant, which was only temporary. Now, in the previous passage, the author was comparing and contrasting the Levitical priesthood with Christ's priesthood. The Levitical priesthood and the law that regulated that system are no longer effective because Christ is now the high priest for the people of God. In chapter 8, he continues by contrasting, or rather continues his contrast, in verses 1 through 5 when he says that priests on earth offer gifts according to the law of Moses. Jesus, on the other hand, serves in heaven not offering sacrificial gifts because he's no longer serving under the law. Jesus doesn't offer sacrifices, but he is in heaven right now ministering before the Father, interceding for you. Jesus' work in heaven, which is part and parcel of the new covenant, is much better than the old covenant by which he means the Mosaic Covenant. To review, the Mosaic Covenant is the relationship Israel has to God. Moses is the mediator. So this is a covenant only for Israel, the nation of Israel, with their God. Moses was their mediator. 
and there were laws subject to that covenant which the people had to follow. That's simply the Mosaic Covenant. It is this covenant that was able to be broken, and breaking this covenant meant that there was punishment for sins, often very severe punishment for sins. Well, the author of Hebrews takes this up in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 8. In this section, the author quotes Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, a well-known passage. And these are God's words to the nation of Judah. Now, it's very important to understand the history here. At this point in history, it's 587 B.C., about, there are two nations. There is the nation of Judah in the south and the nation of Israel in the north. Before 930, there was a united Israel, just one nation. But after 930, there's a divided nation, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Now at this point in Jeremiah's prophecy, he's speaking to the people of Judah. It's 587 B.C. Now kids, by the way, this is a long time ago. This is about 2,587 years ago to be exact. It's 587 years before Jesus was born. And the prophet is talking to these people in Judah, saying that their doom is sure, that the armies of Babylon are coming to take them away. Babylon is where... A modern Iraq is today. Uh, before this, Israel, the northern nation, had been exiled to Assyria. So now the final nation, Judah, is about ready to be taken away. So Jeremiah is saying that their doom is sure. But through him, God is telling Judah that in a future time, he would make a new covenant with them. In the author's quotation of the Jeremiah prophecy in verses 8 and 9, God promises that not only Judah, but Israel too, would be in this covenant unlike the covenant God had made with them when they came out of Egypt. And by that, God means the Mosaic covenant. So the new covenant would be the covenant basically that replaces the old covenant by which he means the Mosaic covenant. Well, the problem the people of Israel and Judah had was that they could not keep the Mosaic Covenant. In verse 9, you hear that the people did not continue in this covenant and God showed no concern for them. That means essentially that the people broke the laws of that covenant and God had to punish them. One of the punishments for breaking the law was to be exiled to foreign lands, to be taken away. It would be like, um, I don't know, China coming into our nation, taking all the people over to China, just taking the people away. Well, all this to say the Old Covenant, that is the Mosaic Covenant, could be broken, and it was broken profoundly. When Israel and Judah broke this covenant, they were breaking the laws of the covenant. When they broke the laws of the covenant, they had to be punished. Hence, you understand that the Mosaic Covenant was a covenant of works. It was a law covenant. Obedience to the law was an emphasis in this covenant. So you hear this in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 11. God tells Ezekiel uh, that the person who does the law in the Mosaic Covenant will live. Implied, of course, is if you don't do the law in this covenant, you will die. So kids, it's like this. It would be like your parents saying to you one day, Look, the new rules in this house, if you break them, you will be punished necessarily. There's no mercy. You can't plead for mercy, and I will show you no mercy. 
if you break these laws, these are the specific punishments that will occur. So the background of this is that according to Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 30, uh, Israel, Israel and Judah at this point, had agreed that they would do the law. Moses gives them the law, explains it, and Israel says, great, we'll do it. Then Moses says, look, there will be punishments if you don't do this law. Curses. Your uh, land will not do well. You will get sick. There will be famines, plagues. And ultimately, if you do not repent of your sin, you will be carried away in exile to some foreign country. The people say, okay. It says also at the same time, if you can keep the law, you will be blessed. You will be healthy, no famines, no plagues, no enemies in the land. Everything will be fine. And the people in this covenant say, yes, Lord, we will do this law. And yes, Lord, we understand that everything will be great if we follow your law, and everything will be terrible, will be cursed if we uh, fail to obey your law and break the law. So they understand what they're getting themselves into. They are agreeing to the law and saying they will take the punishments thereof. The problem was, of course, Israel could not keep the law. They kept breaking the law. That's exactly why many of the people died and went into foreign exile. So listen to the New Testament talk about the problems, or we could say the discomfort, of the Mosaic Covenant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the Mosaic Covenant. And he asks, how does he talk about this covenant? Does he say that when Israel was under this covenant, it was the glory days, that everything was great, that it was so great having these kings who led the nation, uh, it was all gold and silver and victories and everything was wonderful. No, not at all. Paul says this covenant was a covenant of death. A covenant in which the letter kills, it's a ministry of death carved in letters on stone. That's how he explains this covenant. Romans 4.15, Paul also says that the law by which he means the Mosaic Covenant brings wrath, God's anger. The author of Hebrews mentions in chapter 10, verse 28, that the Mosaic Covenant means judgment without mercy. Therefore, first, the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant, a covenant of works essentially, was faulty, as the author of Hebrews puts it, because breaking the law by sinning meant the entire covenant was broken. To break that covenant meant you were punished in some explicit way. The character of the Mosaic Covenant was the punishment for sins. That's how it felt. So now you understand how there's this great sense of discomfort under this covenant. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. They agreed that they would be punished for breaking the law. They knew what the explicit punishments were under each specific law. You do X, you get X punishment. You do Y, you get Y punishment. And of course they knew they were going to blow it, that they were going to sin, so that they knew all the time these punishments were coming upon them. So as we go into the New Covenant, remember that the character of the New Covenant is different. And oftentimes people reason this way. I did X, Y, or Z sin... Therefore, I know I'm going to get X, Y, or Z sickness or something bad's going to happen. That's not how it works in the New Covenant. So second, because the Mosaic Covenant was faulty, could be broken, it was only temporary. In God's mercy, He promised a new covenant. 
So you can work your way backwards in this passage to understand the temporary nature of the Mosaic Covenant. It's very important. In verse 13, after the author has quoted Jeremiah 31, he says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So he's saying that the old covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, is obsolete, worn out, no longer good. What's interesting is the words growing old, ready to vanish away suggest that at the time of the author's letter, the Mosaic Covenant was still in effect. That means the temple was still in effect. So it's a fairly early letter. And uh, all the sacrificial system, all the stuff is going on. And this is what was tempting the people in, in, in the church to which he was writing. Well, maybe we'll go back to that system. You know, I see this great temple and there's sacrifices of law and all that kind of stuff and my friends are saying maybe I should go back there there's something appealing about that outward glory but the author's saying no it's no good it's done it's fading away as in it's going to be destroyed one of these days that is the temple's going to be destroyed and so to observe something that's only temporary when the permanent thing is here is foolish in verse 7 the author says that if the first covenant the Mosaic covenant had not been faultless, then there would be no need for the second. Verse 6, you hear that Christ has already obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old, as a covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. One more observation. In verses 5 and 6, the author calls the laws, the temple, and the other aspects of the Mosaic covenant a copy or a shadow of the heavenly things. We'll come back to this in a moment, but for now, note that only something that is a copy or a shadow is not the real thing. So kids, if you're walking down the sidewalk on a sunny day, somebody doesn't say, hey look, on the ground there's Timmy. No, your shadow is only a shadow. It's a copy of the real you. And the author here is interesting to say that those Old Testament things are only copies and shadows of heavenly Realities. We'll come back to that in a minute. So in summary, you can see that the Mosaic Covenant was not a covenant of comfort. It was a covenant of works, a law covenant. <coughs> if you sinned and broke the covenant, you would be punished necessarily. Thankfully, though, it was only temporary because God promised a new covenant. But as we consider the new covenant, we have to ask the question, what was the purpose of this Mosaic Covenant? Why did God enact this covenant that Paul calls a ministry of death? And if people sin, and they would, they get punished. And by the way, this goes a long way in explaining what the Old Testament is all about. I mean, kids, when you first heard a lot of the Old Testament read to you by your parents, what are you thinking? Mom and Dad, there are a lot of wars and there's pestilence and plagues and people are dropping dead. Lions come out and eat people. Um, people are cutting each other up, stabbing each other. It's just crazy. But why is this? And by the way, uh, the Old Covenant is the Old Testament. So the great character of the Old Testament is this, this, this theme of war and bloodshed and all this kind of stuff. Why? Why does God set up a covenant in which all these things would necessarily happen, punishment for sins? Well, the answer is this. 
God is speaking to all people about the necessity of obedience to Him. God is the one true God, and all people without exception are His servants. So, if you, of course, if you wish to love and follow the king, you must obey him. And uh, how does it work in monarchies today? That is, uh, kingdoms with a king or a queen. Uh, if you, oh, typically, if you mess up in the kingdom, if you um, are disobedient to the king or queen, your head comes off. There's some way in which or you're sent to the rack. Or, I mean, in history this is true. Today, in some places, it's true too. All people in that kingdom, whether they love the king or not, are under his authority. So God is saying to the world, look, I am God. And I'm just not any God. I'm a God who requires obedience. The world, the universe is my kingdom. That's what he said to Adam. You have to follow me, Adam. And following me means loving me, obeying my commandments. The day you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. You keep my law, you'll live. It says the same exact thing to Israel. Israel, you're my servant. Are you going to be true Adam? Are you going to be the one who follows my law? Because after all, I'm the king, you're my vassal servants. And of course, he says that to all people today. I exist. I am. And you know it, Paul says in Romans 1. Will you follow me? So the point of that covenant is obedience to God is absolutely necessary and it is has to be perfect obedience. But the problem is no one can obey God. No one can fulfill His law. But that is exactly where the new covenant comes in. The author says in verses 10 and following this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now what is the new covenant essentially? Well, you have the same parties. You have the people of God if God Himself, parties in this contract, Jesus is the mediator now, not Moses. But also, in the Mosaic Covenant, it was only Israel, Jews, who were in covenant with God. Now, of course, this is an important qualification, non-Jews could come in, but they had to come into Israel. The, the gospel didn't go out to all the world. You had to come to Jerusalem to be saved, to be in covenant with God. But in the New Covenant, now you have Jews and Gentiles, anyone who believes in God through Christ alone, is in that covenant. They're a party, God is a party, Jesus is their mediator. That's the New Covenant. Now what about laws? There have to be laws in the covenant. It's the moral law of the Old Testament. We summarize the laws of the Old Testament by saying, love God and love your neighbor, just as Israel had to do. The difference is now, that the law does not um, involve punishments like it did in Israel's time. Remember, XYZ sins get XYZ punishments in the Old Covenant. Today, that's not true. 
We'll come back to this in a moment. You can break the new covenant. You can walk away from the church. But ordinarily, ordinary sinning does not carry the death uh, punishment or you know, a plague or um, a famine or whatever. That's the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant. So God says he will put his laws into their minds, write them on their hearts. That means, though, in this day that there's still a conviction of sins. So as Israel was convicted when they sinned, they were punished, um, you're convicted by your conscience. You know because the law is written on your heart in a new way that when you sin, it is wrong. It's an offense against God who is your king. So the law reveals your sin, you see. Now, breaking the law today will not mean, again, death, plagues, or enemies. Breaking the law without repenting can mean church discipline, but not in the sense that Israel was punished. In other words, we don't bear the sword. Israel was a theocracy. They had the sword. They could, well, with stone people, kill people for sinning under certain circumstances. Today, the church does not have the power of the sword. The church, church's authority is only spiritual. It can only proclaim to people what is right. But further, God, putting the law into your minds and writing it on your hearts means that after Christ's work to fulfill the law, you can follow the law of God out of gratitude. Now the real obedience to God begins. Not perfect obedience, but real love because of Christ. So the law also functions to guide you. It shows you how you can please God. Again, without the threats of death, plagues, and so on. Verse 11 of this passage describes a comprehensive and a real knowledge of God, which means there's a fuller knowledge of God in Christ among people even outside of Israel. And finally, God promises to be merciful to those He calls His people. He will remember their sins no more. Again, their sins will not be held against them as they were under the Mosaic Covenant. No, in the New Covenant, there is eternal forgiveness for sins. Of course, there's eternal forgiveness for sins of those in Israel as well, but they were also under the Mosaic Covenant which punished their sins. Therefore, the New Covenant is clearly a better covenant, a covenant enacted on better promises, as the author says in verse 6. The better promises are promises that there is true forgiveness of sin and the freedom to follow the law out of gratitude. And this is only possible because Christ fulfilled the law. Remember, God has required that all people be obedient to Him and to His law. Adam couldn't do it. Israel couldn't do it. So you hear that, you know, you see here that God is trying to find the true Adam. It's not the first Adam, it's not Israel. There are no true Adams today. No one can fulfill the law. Only Christ became the true Adam who could do the law. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ is the second Adam, the last Adam, the true Adam that fulfilled all the law. All of it. That's why Isaiah in chapters 49 and following prophesies of Jesus coming, who is true Israel. He's not only true Adam, but true Israel. God's servant who obeys his law perfectly. But also like Israel, 
He was punished for transgressions, but transgressions not his own, and punished eternally at one moment on the cross. Therefore, Jesus not only obeyed the law in your place, he was punished in your place on the cross. You should have died. You should have died. I should have died. We should have faced plagues and famines, but nobody has been exiled to foreign lands or faced these things because of Christ. These punishments then don't fall upon you because they fell upon Christ instead. True Israel. When he fulfilled the law and took the punishments of that covenant, the Mosaic covenant, he became the mediator of the new covenant. And now you are in the new covenant, not the Mosaic covenant, the ministry of death. And this covenant cannot be broken as a Mosaic covenant can be broken. Again, you can break the new covenant if you walk away from Christ. And this is again the distinction, very important distinction between bearing the sword and not bearing the sword. The church today cannot say, we're going to stone you or see that you get plagues for sinning. They can only proclaim to you that you've broken this law and that you need to repent. If you don't repent, after a matter of time, and you walk away from Christ, the church says you've walked away from the church, and the new covenant, you're not a part of it any longer. That's what it is to break the new covenant. But the daily sort of sins, even sins that we're slow to repent of, God does not punish you. God does not mete out judgment specifically as He did to those in Israel. That's the character of the new covenant. Now, even when you sin, you will not face God's anger as Israel did. Why? Because Christ is true Israel. He took on the anger of God. He took on the punishment for sins. Your sins are forgiven. And they're forgiven eternally. God's anger has been satisfied. Well, finally, because you are in the new covenant, you experience this uh, in this life, the true form of the copies and shadows of the Mosaic covenant. This is what the author says in chapter 10, verse 1. The law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. He means that the things of the Mosaic Covenant, like the temple and the sacrifices and things like that, are only shadows of the things to come in the New Testament, like Christ himself, the Lamb of God. So, ordinarily, shadows and copies in the Old Testament point forward. They point you forward to the New Testament and the fulfillment. So, you always have type and anti-type. For instance, kids, a lamb laying on the altar... Uh, is a type of Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God, not laying on an altar, but on a cross. Shadow to fulfillment goes this way. It's horizontal from the old to the new. And so, in the New Covenant, you enjoy the fulfillment of what was spoken in the Old Testament. You experience the eternal forgiveness of sins, not just the temporary forgiveness of sins like Israel. There's a real difference. You know, true comfort of God's favor, not just temporarily, but ultimate comfort. And the sealing reality, as the author of Hebrews puts it, is believing that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, where he is a minister in the true tent. Not the temple that was torn down, but the true temple in heaven. Not on earth, made with hands. Now what's fascinating about the author's words in chapter 8, 
with respect to the copies and shadows is that he's not talking about copies and shadows pointing forward to the New Testament realities. So he's not on this horizontal plane. No, he's talking about copies and shadows of the heavenly realities. Again, a shadow of Christ in the Old Testament is a lamb on the altar pointing forward. But now, that would be like light coming from the distant future shining back and showing a shadow. What he's doing now is he's saying, no, there's light as it were coming from heaven, and the types and shadows in the Old Testament are also realities of the heavenly realities. So now it is Christ who is interceding on our behalf, and somehow that is shed, or light is shed in the Old Testament to understand that certain reality. What the author is saying in all this is that the security of the New Covenant is as secure and permanent as Christ's session at the right hand of the Father in the invisible heavens with thousands and thousands of angels gathered around Christ. So it's really crazy because Christ's ascension didn't happen, of course, into the New Testament, but there's a way in which that future reality is shown from the heavenlies back to the Old Testament to tell you that even the Old Testament saints had a sense there there was something fantastic coming in the future. Not just the horizontal future, but in the eternal future. And if Christ is interceding at the right hand of the Father now, that means all of His work is finished. And it's secure. If Christ mediates on your behalf, you don't have to worry about the forgiveness of your sins. That's the author's point. It is that sure. And so what it does is it puts your sin into perspective. Well, in conclusion, the Mosaic Covenant was something that broke because of sin. And because this covenant required direct punishment for sins, there is great discomfort associated with it. But it is important to understand this covenant because its nature speaks to the absolute importance of obedience to God. God rewards obedience and punishes disobedience. The problem always is, people cannot follow God's law. Therefore, in God's mercy, He enacted a better covenant, the new covenant. This covenant can be broken, but only if there's no sorrow for sins. But for those who confess their sins and trust in Christ alone, there is no breaking of this covenant. It is as sure as Christ interceding on your behalf right now, speaking your name for the Father. Not a general amorphous people, but each one of your names, Christ confesses before the Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.